Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, back in 2013, Hannah Bourne-Taylor found herself living in a remote part of Ghana. She was lonely and feeling a bit directionless, but an encounter with a wild bird changed all that, effectively turning her into a mother for just 84 days. Her account of that time has been published in a book called Fledgling. Hannah, good afternoon. Hello, how are you? Uh, could you tell us something about the circumstances of your life in Ghana at the time when you, when you first found the finch? Yes. So I was 26 and I'd moved from central London to rural Ghana um, because my husband had got a job there. And so I wasn't actually allowed to work myself because I didn't have a work permit. So there I was um, in this very wild landscape. So imagine remote, remote, remote landscape with very, very tall grass and a wide river and lots of deadly snakes and colourful birds. There I was in that life, connecting with nature because I was very lonely and isolated. And then I found a bird uh, that really needed my help. Uh, So I rescued him. And that one moment of compassion translated into uh, changing my entire identity and outlook on life. Yeah. And and it's a finch. They normally, what had happened to it, do you suppose, that you you found him on the ground? Yeah. Um, So every year there's a big rainy season in Ghana and uh, mannequin finches of the type of bird he was, a bronze winged mannequin finch they're a bit like sparrows um, but smaller they live in grass nests and unfortunately when the storms come these grass nests often fall to the ground and the mannequin finch's mentality is to just start from scratch and abandon any small birds or fledglings that can't get up because how would they even be able to rescue them from the ground anyway when they can't fly and just start over and so there was one fledgling uh, that could fly but was very very weak at flying because of his age Mm. Um, and so I knew that without his flock he wouldn't survive because he needed to learn from his family he needed to be protected by the flock by the numbers of the flock so I became his surrogate mother yeah and how he was tiny when you first found him yeah, so mannequin finches, that's Flemish for little man. So about half the size of a sparrow and obviously slightly smaller than that because he was a, a, a baby. Um, so imagine probably smaller than your little finger, oh, that gosh. sort of size. Yeah. Um, and then he grew to be about the size of my little finger once he had uh, developed. Um, and so, yeah, luckily for me and for him, he, he did accept me as his mum. And um, we we have this relationship that goes much beyond what most people would ever have with a bird. And for him to accept you as his mother, how long did that take? Oh, this is a great thing about baby animals and birds. Not all of them, but a lot of them have this instinct to just sort of latch on, which is called imprinting, to imprint on anything they see when they're very young. So actually you see these viral YouTube videos of uh, golden retrievers being followed by ducklings. Mm. That's because the ducklings have imprinted on the golden retriever because they think, oh, that must be mum. I will follow that person or that animal, even if it's not my bird mother, because that's that's their sort of instinct. And so it was almost instantaneous. I chirped to the bird. Uh, which sounds sillier than it was. And and he chirped back. And instead of freaking out, he dug his body into my hand and went to sleep. And did you know, I mean, over time, as I understand it, you did start to understand what different chirps meant. Uh, and yeah, this was a, yeah. I, I didn't know the chirps to start with, of course, but because of the time I learned the different emotional calls i suppose you could say yeah so your initial chirp did you you know obviously that meant something to the to the little bird 
Well, so again, flock birds like sparrows, they chirp all the time to each other. And that's just to make sure that they're all there because they rely on safety in numbers. So they're always constantly checking to see whether they're in the group, whether, whether they need to mm. sort of move closer. And so that, that my little generic chirp, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it, it was just a reassuring instinct for him to be like, oh, okay, that's vaguely familiar. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll turn back. Um, I, but of I, course, I, then, then it exp- expanded into lots more calls. And, and what did you feed them? Oh, <laughs> so lots of things. So luckily for me, this was a bird that eats seed predominantly. But as a baby, they need protein. Um, and also as a baby, he couldn't, he didn't understand how to eat. That was one of the things I had to teach him how to eat the grass seed. Um, but to start with, I fed him termites that used to swarm in their millions after the rains. And they're very fat nourishment kind of form of protein, uh, which was really disgusting and <laughs> challenging. Um, and then also seed and, and mango puree and, and lots of things. And, and he used to demand food you know every hour yeah. of the day he was um <laughs> he was very very vocal about wanting to be fed pretty much like any baby then so how do you oh exactly how do you teach a bird how to eat oh good question <laughs> so of course at that point i really didn't know everything was trial and error um but what i did was well so i had him for three months and for the last two months basically every single waking hour so that's 12 hours a day on the equator i would be with the finch outside following his wild family through the grasslands so that he could get as near as possible to his flock so that firstly he could learn because they learn through watching the family around him so learn um all the all the ways to eat the seed balance on the stems of grass uh, learn the dangers all that sort of thing and then eventually also because he'd be familiar with their routines and with the individuals within the flock i could eventually reunite him that was the plan. The odds were always set very much against us. Um, mm. But luckily, fledgling my book is a triumphant ending. Otherwise, I would not have written it. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the thing is, because he didn't print it on you, you were you were mammy. There were, like he wasn't. He didn't leave you at all. It, would that be pretty much the case? <laughs> Yeah, so at night time, because it would have been too risky for me to be asleep in, in case I crushed him by mistake, um, he did he did reluctantly get into a little cardboard box home and he would go to sleep. But apart from that, yeah, I was with him, you know, every waking hour, which is quite hard when you're <laughs> when you're trying to do things, just basic things like go to the loo or um, walk around or eat, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, challenging when you've got a feathered friend <laughs> everywhere you go. I, like I, I'm. When we say be with you all the time, is that like a physically upon you all the time? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So bear with me. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? But um, yes, he would be either in his little castle, which was my hand. He, lo- he loved it. So imagine a little turret with a little peeping <laughs> feathered head picking out that sort of thing. Or on my shoulder um, or just sort of gen- on my head sometimes. Um, and that would be in and outside of the house. Wherever we were, he would be me- with me like a yo-yo on, a, on an invisible string. And he did also really like nest- uh, nesting in my hair because I have waist-long hair. And so when he was sleepy especially, he would curl my hair up and actually it was really convenient because the stems of grass that I mentioned earlier those are the stems that they then make their nests out of so it's actually instinctively convenient for him to practice on my very long quite stem-like hair and so there he would be nestling um in nestling into my (laughs) collarbone and making this little purring sound which is you know his content call and that was a real reward for me um to kind of feel like firstly I had managed to survive and he had managed to survive every day and second 
friendly. It was my reward, um, which felt like magic, really, uh, to have this wild bird that had been born from an egg the size of our fingernail, like a little fingernail, from from a mango tree high up, to then be safe on me and mm. seek reassurance from me, a human, uh, was a was an incredible experience. I, I, I know you're in a remote area, but imagine going to the shops with a bird nested in your head, in your hair. That would uh, uh, raise a few eyebrows, I would have thought. Was it difficult to disentangle him from your hair uh, if you needed oh, to? Uh, no, not at all. Um, if I would move, he would move. Um, and and the, the, they would be little nests that he would make and remake all the time. So it's not like I was walking around with a sort of permanent nest of hair in, on my hair. <laughs> it, it would, it, it's a bit like, you know, someone playing, plaiting someone else's hair, that sort of thing. It would, it would mm. be loosely done and he would he would sort of spin himself into a cocoon. So if he was out of it, it would it would then remain my hair again, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Now, um, <laughs> birds do poop quite a lot. How did you N- negotiate that. Ah, so I'm I'm quite happy to defend him and and my own hygiene or, or for, for that uh, context. So basically, birds don't tend to poo in their own beds, just like we wouldn't. That's pretty gross. Okay. Um, and my my hand and my hair when he's making a sort of nest that that was from his point of view his nest. So what birds tend to do um, uh, is politely back out of the nest poo over the side and then get back in um actually some birds take the poo in their beaks and um carry it and drop it you know they're actually very very quite cool about that um so so i did get poo on my t-shirt because of course it would often fall on my t-shirt but Mm. he would be making a deliberate effort to keep his own nest area clean um but actually you know Birds poo a lot. Smaller birds poo even more, 50 times a day on average. But they're like sort of little drips of tipex. You know, it's not as disgusting as other types of poo. So, mm. And it's very, very hot there. So it's sort of dry and I sort of scrape it off. And yeah, that does sound a bit gross. But actually, it was so not relevant at the time. Uh, okay, <laughs> no, but it's a useful, a useful household tip uh, in, in the sense. <laughs> it, is it if, if birds poo, it's better to wait for it to dry and scrape it off? Yeah, oh, I'll say, I mean, in the context of a 40 degree heat in Ghana, then it, it dries pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if anyone out there is listening and they've got a bird in their hair, <laughs> then yeah, <laughs> like, you know, sunshine could dry it, scrape off, easy. <laughs> easy. Now, it was, the two, it, was, it was you and your husband and the bird in, in, in the house for most of the time, though, as I understand, you did have to, uh, you did have to bring the bird with you when you were going to meet Prince Charles. Yeah, I mean, I didn't actually meet Prince Charles because I was obviously one of many people. But yes, we had to go to this party and it was such a surreal situation. Uh, The party was in the capital city, which is about three hours away. And that's a long journey for a very small bird. But I couldn't leave the bird. um, So I took him with me. I didn't take him to the party, but we we went to this hotel. And um, as we were getting out of the car, the hotel manager was coming up to greet us. And my finch, who was quite confident then and would fly um, back and forth from me into bushes and things normally. He did that in the car park. And because we were in an unusual place, and also because the hotel didn't know that I had a bird that I was intending to bring with me, I was trying, like chirping, chirping, chirping to get him back on me. Because if I had chirped, he'd come back. It was incredible, um, sort of a very obedient bird. Um, But the hotel manager saw this and he saw this little tiny wild bird flying to me and back and responding to my chirps. And he, you should have seen his face. (laughs) He, He was just completely perplexed by it and to the point where he said what are you doing how are you doing that is it magic and i didn't really know what to say because i just didn't <laughs> i'll explain it really quickly yeah. so i just said you know what yeah it's magic because and especially now i don't have the finch when i tell that story or think about it or, or write it down or anything it does feel like magic <laughs> yeah and I, now 
as you said, the plan was to rewild the finch, and I, I assume that's why you never gave the bird a name because you didn't want to uh, turn him into a pet. Uh, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't want to. Yeah, difficult time for you, I'd imagine, and in the end, you didn't do it. Um, yeah, so I, of course, in order for me to prepare him for the wild, our bond had to be 100%. So, of course, therefore, you know, I really loved him and I loved him more and more and more as, as the time went on. And he, I'm sure he didn't love me, but the, he, he was very attached to me. Um, and so, yeah, it got harder and harder knowing that I had to give him up, um, especially when I knew how horrible the wild can be you know it's it's not mm. a safe place especially for a little flying snack you know he's on the bottom uh, of the food chain there um so yeah i i knew i had to keep my promise to myself to the bird but when it came to it i knew that he wouldn't fly from me because such was our bond and so my husband who had been sort of on the sidelines of all of this um could could help because the finch accepted him but really not in the same way um so he became instrumental to the release of the bird <laughs> yes and uh, do you and did you know at that point you know wh- uh, where flocks of finches would be going would he remain in the area as far as you know or, or go elsewhere i'm so glad you asked that question because that's the crux of why i wrote the book really i suppose there i was very isolated and lonely in my new identity as this trailing spouse as i was called and and by learning the routine of the mannequin flock this one mannequin flock where which he did belong to i knew exactly where they would be and when without even you know i didn't have to see them i knew where they were depending on the weather depending on the time of day and so i knew the routine the layout the design of their entire lives it's a little territory of grassland it became my territory and so yeah i knew i knew how to release him when to release him you know if he is alive now they don't have very long lives but if he did if he is alive right now i know exactly where he would be he would be asleep in a mango tree because it's noon and, and that's very hot so they, they go and rest in in the uh, cover of the shade okay that sounds lovely did <laughs> i suppose the temptation afterwards to kind of keep a weather eye out to see might you spot him again <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that is um the golden sort of end paragraph of my book fledgling is um is something that happened after I released him. It, I only document it in the book once, but it happened four times. I never touched the finch again, but um, it, I did see him and I, and I know it was him. And that feeling of achievement and relief and pride yeah. um, was really brought home to me then um, and a precious treasured memory. Do you think he recognised you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, these mannequin finch, finches, um, they all look the same when they're adults. So you can't tell the difference between male or female or, or actually at any stage of their lives. And they, yeah, they all look identical. So to look at the flock, I wouldn't have known. It was the behavior um, of him flying back, circling around and uh, perching near me and inspecting me and chirping at me that I, <laughs> you know, wild birds don't do that. Um, yeah. So that, that was my bird. And um, I was surprised not in tears. I... <laughs> 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 what an extraordinary experience. The name of the book is Fledgling. Hannah Bourne Taylor, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2 pm on News Talk.